Before we dive into this week's movie, we'd like to let you know that the podcast will contain explicit language and adult themes. Better to find out now than to explain it to your kids in the car later. Yes. On with the show. I'm going to make them an offer again. I feel the need. The need for speed. He's watched every movie more than once. He's Stephen Fennec. Go ahead. Make my day. He's watched the latest Disney movies with his kids, uh, but that's about it. He's Trevor Long. You talking to me? Together, they bring you the best movies you've never seen. Have a look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Rent BioStream, the latest and greatest movies on Fetch. Watch on a big screen Hisense TV. The best movies you've never seen. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. With Stephen Fennick and Trevor Long. This is the captain. Brace for impact. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the best movies you've never seen. My name is Stephen Fennick. I've watched these movies several times, but my good buddy and co-host Trevor Long has never seen these movies and he's viewing it for the first time. Hello, Trev. I, I feel like I'm bringing something new to the table with every movie. That's, that's my modern approach to this. Rather than bagging me for not seeing them, I'm trying to bring something new. Yeah, fresh eyes, we're going to call you. Yeah, That's yeah, you. yeah. Trevor, fresh eyes long, <laughs> is joining us. The movie in question this week is a classic, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It was released in 1975. Oof. It was directed by Milos Forman, who also directed Amadeus, The People versus Larry Flint, among others, and stars, of course, Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher. It's based on the Ken Kesey novel as well. And it was uh, written after his experiences working at the Veterans Administration Hospital in uh. Menlo Park. So he had a bit of experience in an institution and decided to make it, write a novel about it. You do wonder, and, like, that's the funny thing. You look at a movie like this, having watched it, and you think, how does someone come up with the idea for that? And so yeah. I'm pleased to know that there was a kind of personal experience built into you know, how the, the original words came about. Absolutely right. And uh, a little surprise, and I'll I'll go into it a little bit uh, in a little while. This movie was produced by Michael Douglas, uh, who went on to be, you know, Michael Douglas, Gordon Gekko, Mm. Wolf of Wall Street, all these, not Wolf of Wall Street, Wall Street. Uh, So Michael Douglas, big, big star. This was early in his career where he was just getting his, uh, just dipping his toe into acting. But uh, I'll explain in a minute the, how he got involved with this project. Now, you had, before you viewed this movie, Trev, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, did you have any idea what it was about? Does the t- did the title do anything for you there? I think the, so clearly this is um, 
such a classic, such an old movie that you can't not have seen, I think, scenes from it or just vision from it. So I knew it was an institution of some form. Uh, the Cuckoo's Nest obviously helped with that. Um, but that's pretty much it. And also, you know, uh, for a millionaire question, would have got Jack Nicholson as the lead. Okay. But that's about it. Yeah. Well, the, the... And I think, sorry, the other thing is, in recent time, I've heard talk about this Nurse Ratchet whether yes. there's a follow-up or something, you might talk about that later. But there is, there is a, I, I feel yeah, show, yes, like there there's been some conversation which has drawn my attention to that. But that's yes. about it. Well, I'll talk about it now. The show that's that's currently airing is a prequel to this. So the character is uh, Nurse Ratchet, but it's her life before the events of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was set ah. in 1963. So that's my understanding. I haven't watched that, that show yet, but I'll, I'll probably give it a crack. But... Uh, the, the show, the, the movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, massive success, won the five big Oscars. So at the time, in 1975, it was the first film in 41 years to sweep the five major categories. We're talking wow. best picture, best actor, best actress, best director, best adapted screenplay. Two other movies have done it. The first was in uh, 1934, It Happened One Night, mm-hmm. and it happened again with a movie we've already covered on the show in 1991. The movie was The Silence of the Lambs, which uh, also won every major Academy Award category. Now, do you remember when I told you a moment ago that it was produced by Michael Douglas? Mm. He and Saul Zantz, they, they co-produced the movie. But have, a, but have a listen to how they got, they got into it. Michael Douglas's father, Kirk Douglas, had actually optioned the book so he, he optioned the book, adapted it to a Broadway play, and it wasn't, wasn't a real success on Broadway. Right. So Kirk Douglas was trying to get to trying to offer to trying to get rid of the project. Michael stepped up and said, "You know what, Dad? Let me have a crack. Let me run with it." And he decided to make it into a film. Now initially, there was a bit of you know, depending on who I've, I've researched this part of, it, of the story. Depending on who you ask, there was a bit of friction between Michael and his dad because his dad apparently wanted to star in the movie. Ah, uh-huh. the other the other research awkward. Found, yeah, well, the other research I found was that uh, Kirk Douglas stepped down of his own accord, thinking, "Look, I'm too old for the role." So I've heard both sides of both both of those stories. But anyway, Jack Nicholson got the role, and it made that much money apparently that it was the most lucrative project of Kirk Douglas's career, even though he was trying to get rid of it. But and it also went on. Of course, Michael Douglas, being a producer, won the Oscar for Best Picture. When the Best, best Picture Oscar is given out, it's given to the producers. So yeah, right. Michael Douglas, Saul Zantz, before he even won an acting Oscar later on in the eighties, he won a producing Oscar as well. We are going to dive into the movie in a moment. This is your last exit before the freeway, but it's your chance. If you haven't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, maybe catch it on Fetch. This is another example of one of those movies that um, it's not really well distributed in terms of where you'll find it. You won't find it on any streaming platform. Um, so I, in fact, found this on YouTube. And so through my Fetch, opened up all the apps and went into my YouTube account and was able to... Uh, buy the movie on my YouTube account. So it's one of those ones that you've got to look for sometimes. And uh, Fetch is a great service because it has so many different options for you. You can rent and buy directly from Fetch thousands and thousands of movies. And then there's your streaming service like Amazon Prime, Netflix, Stan. They're all there, plus YouTube, all your catch-up TV, every bit of entertainment you could want 
is available on Fetch and you can get them through your internet provider. Just ring them and ask whether they offer Fetch. If they don't, either change internet providers or get along to Harvey Norman or JB Hi-Fi and get yourself a Fetch right now. All righty. If you're still with us, that means you're ready to join us for this run-through of this amazing movie. Now, Trev, you've seen it for the first time. What are your impressions? How would you tweak this to your followers? I, Mate, I'm going to tell you straight up, I need to watch this. I want to watch this again. Not a need. I want ah, to watch this again because okay. I feel like there's so much depth to this movie. There's, you know, there's a clear basic storyline, but I also think there's some really nice underpinnings of, you know, it's like an, uh, it's an analysis of the, the mental institution. You know, there's so many, you know, things you question about and we'll get through it in some, in the run through, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it for the story that it is. There's some really great moments in it, which I'll, I'll talk about when we run through it. But for me, I think this is one of those tweets that it's the same for a couple of our movies, which is like, you know, this movie, you've heard of Cuckoo's Nest, you know, Jack Nicholson, you know, it's going to be great. Set aside some time, put the feet up and enjoy it. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with you. It's one of those movies where if you've watched it as many times as I have, you pick up, there's so many little nuances mm. and little things that happen that I'll point them out as we go through the movie now. It, it it's I've read the book as well. Read the book, watched it a number of times. I'll explain book v movie later. There's a massive there's a massive thing to talk about there. But for me, I reckon this movie and you tell me if you pick this up as well. It's almost shot like a documentary. Yeah, there's like long passages of one shot focusing on a character's face. So there's like these these shots where, uh, and it turns out that, uh, and I'll tell you later in the things you didn't know, that the director, Milos Forman, often rolled the camera before the actors even knew that they were, they were yeah. ready for the scene. So there was a lot of these candid moments captured. Did well, you I think, that up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I think you'll impress with here in the casting call is, you know, the, the, the cast here is epic. And I, I don't know that it was epic at the time. I just recognised so many faces, right? Okay. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. But, yeah. but what I what I love about this movie, I'll tell you, is acting. Do you know, and I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to describe this properly, but there's, there's a, for me, there's movies that are just reading a script and performing. And there's movies like this where there's acting. And, you know, you've got people who've been cast in a in a role as a mental patient and as we learn through the movie some are you know committed some are voluntary there whatever and mate that just the way they build a grow a character become a character and be the character is it's just awesome so you take away jack Nicholson, you take away nurse Ratchet, and you just go to like a third tier sub character yeah. and you watch if you just watch that character intently through the movie it would be fascinating to just watch their intricacies the little things they do the way their mannerisms Mate, yeah. such good acting. It is a really detailed performance, right? And we'll get into the casting call now. I think the reason it is such a good movie is because, yeah, there's Jack Nicholson, Louise Fletcher, great actors, but there's the supporting cast really makes it just a strong effort across the board. Like it's like it's like the Melbourne Storm, a strong across the park. Every yeah. position is yeah. he's a really talented player in that position. Uh, let, well, let's talk about the cast right now. Jack Nicholson, of course, plays Randall P. McMurphy, and he was coming off at the time. So he's on a he's on a heater here, right? He's coming off Chinatown. Five Easy Pieces and Easy Rider. They're the movies he'd already made as he was coming into One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Louise Fletcher, who plays Nurse Ratchet, her first name's Mildred, we find out too, Nurse Mildred mm. Ratchet. She was mainly starring in TV shows before, before Cuckoo's Nest, but then went on to star in some other films. 
I reckon the standout, like the debutante, if you like, is Brad Dorif, the guy who plays Billy Bibbit, you know, the guy who stutters. Yeah. This was his film debut. Wow. A huge, huge first film. And I think, like you sort of alluded to before, it's sort of the performance he gave with, with you, you would, if you were watching this as a documentary, you'd think this guy's got a stutter. It's re- that's really how he talks. Mm. It's just such a brilliant point. Well, I think if you take the documentary thing, if you take out some of the extremes, right, there's just a few extremes in it, and you cut all that out and you do put it back to back, and there would you would absolutely believe this was a documentary. Oh, and that's what I mean about those performances. So yeah, good. Brilliant. Uh, you mentioned you recognised a few people in the movie. Did you recognise Christopher Lloyd? Yeah, Doc. Taper? Of course, well, Doc Brown. This was his, young, film, like... his film debut. Really? First film. Wow. Of course, Another Star and Back to the Future and many other films. Did you recognise Danny DeVito? Yes. He was yes. Martini. Mm-hmm. He was the only actor to appear in both the stage show and the movie. Okay. And one of his very early roles as well. We're about to dive into the run-through of this movie, but before we do that, I'd like to tell you about the amazing range of televisions from Hisense. If you want to enjoy movies as they are meant to be enjoyed, then your choice must be a Hisense TV. And don't be scared to go big. 85-inch TVs are some of the fastest-growing sizes in the country, and a lot of those TVs have the Hisense brand on them. They have ULED technology, 4K or 8K resolution, AI upscaling, quantum dot technology. They've got Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. So not only do they look good, they sound good as well to give you the entire experience. They have a range of TVs in a range of sizes, but we suggest go big or go home. That's what Hisense was want you to do. And if you want to check out their range, they have a whole range of TVs uh, from the ULED 8K TV all the way to full HD TVs. Check them out at Hisense.com.au. Trevor, you're ready to dive in. Oh yeah. Well, let's strap let's, in, let's, folks. Let's kick Literally, it off. I, I think that the it starts off in a really nice way. It sort of gives you mm. like a typical scenario: life in the mental hospital. You see Nurse Ratchet arriving. You see one of the patients. I think it was it was um, Bansini, the the guy who kept saying, "I'm tired, I'm tired all the time." He he was un he was untied, let out of his bed. Uh, the the nurse switches on the microphone and says. Well, it's become like a signature little saying, medication time. I'm sure you've heard that saying. Yeah. Medication time. So they all head over. The music starts playing. We meet the patients and we see the chief, this big Indian as well. What about that for, for casting, let alone, you know, scripting? It's just this, he, he's, he's designed to be this enormous, overbearing, but gentle giant character. So good. Yeah. And we, we then see... McMurphy arrived. Now he arrives in handcuffs. Yeah, and the scene where he's he's and you'll notice in this first and the first time we meet him, he's kind of looking around and he's looking up the stairs and people are looking down at him and he he gets the he gets the uh, handcuffs taken off him and then he starts jumping around, gets excited, and you remember the the, the officer who took the handcuffs off him in the script. He was the remember how he kisses the officer. Yeah, in the script. The the officer who he took the cuffs who took the cuffs off him, he was the officer he was supposed to kiss, but on, just he improvised. He kissed the other guy who wasn't expecting <laughs> it. So that look of shock on his face is real. <laughs> he, right. he really shocked him. But then we see him walking into the ward, and mm. the first person he meets though is the chief. God damn boy, you're about as big as a mountain. Look like you might have played some football. 
What's your name? He, he, he can't, can't hear you. He's dead, the death and the dumb Indian. Come Is on, that boy. so? Come on, Bibbit. Can't even make a sound, huh? How? <laughs> so right off the bat, we see McMurphy, and we we really don't know much about him. We haven't had we have haven't heard from him yet in his background, but that that does give. Uh, did you think it gives a nice little snapshot of life in the mental? Yeah, I thought it was because because what it did for me that scene. The critical thing there is it gives you this kind of really laid back, medicated essentially view of the the ward with then this you know overbearing figure comes in and literally just you know crashes the party in the in the kind of reverse sense so i think that it's meant that way and that's why that kiss is so big and the the way he interacts with the chief because then it, it pushes into his he sits down with the doctor because obviously in, in a mental hospital like this which is obviously also a a facility regarding um incarceration you know he's obviously got there through some method which we'll find out when he meets the doctor but it it's a funny thing because he sits down with the doctor and he's just acting like you watch him with the doctor and you think, mate, are you pretend I'm trying to work it. Is he pretending to be insane or not? Because you don't really understand why he's there or what he's meant to be doing. Well, they, they try to establish that. And, and I think what I liked about this scene was it, it was, it, it was the rapport that they established straight away. Like yeah. you tell Nicholson's a bit of, a, he's got the gift of the gab. He's, he talks yeah. about his fish. He goes, Oh, God damn, that's a great big fish. And they, so they, they immediately establish a bit of rapport there. Then, then he sort of obviously the doctor switches gears and says, "Listen, why have you been sent here? Yeah, we 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 we've been you you've been evaluated to see if you're mentally ill." And and he basically replies, "Well, yeah, doc. Basically, I fight and fuck too much." Is kind of his answer. But then we find out about his criminal record. You've got at least five arrests for assault. Yeah. What can you tell me about that? Five fights, huh? Rocky Marciano's got 40 and he's a millionaire. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Of course, it's true that you went in for statutory rape. That's true, is it not, uh, this time? Absolutely true. But, Doc, she was 15 years old, going on 35, Doc, and uh, she told me she was 18. She was uh, very willing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I practically had to take to sewing my pants shut. But uh, between you and me, uh, she might have been 15. Would you get that little red beaver right up there in front of you? I don't think it's crazy at all. I don't think you do either. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> you know what I like about this scene is the doctor, the doctor, it's, it's him and Ratchet are very well scripted and, and played because, and we'll get to Ratchet at the same time, but, uh, you know, he sits... If, if it was you or me sitting across from a guy saying that, you'd be like, what are you talking about? But the doctor's like just calmly going, no, I'm just here to absorb and, and observe. And this is not the, this is not the final session. This is just the beginning. <laughs> it's really like, it's, it's a really good insight into the kind of person that this is where I went. This is a fascinating insight into a mental facility of the time. That's yeah, exactly well, what would have happened. And at the same time, a nice insight into R.P. McMurphy, what he's all about. And <laughs> we find out he uh, he doesn't mind having a good time or, or and having a few fights in the meantime. But um, he says to the doctor there, like you know, I'm here to cooperate. I want to do whatever needs to be yeah. done. And then the next we then um, the next scene is that we the sort of the first session 
of uh, in in the ward. Mm. This is really interesting. You'll notice that while Jack Nicholson is like, or I should say, McMurphy's in this scene, he does not say a word. That's you right. Notice he's in the scene. He's just observing and laughing at what's happening around him, and they. He, it's the first session we see him, and he's in his regular clothes still. He hasn't got his yep. his whites on, so he's he's literally standing out from the rest of the group. And then the the attention turns towards Harding and talking about you know issues with his wife and all this, and then it, it kind of breaks down a bit. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? Yeah, Harding, you're so fucking dumb, I can't believe it. Oh, <laughs> oh. It makes me feel very peculiar, very peculiar when you throw in peculiar? something like that. Why? What does that peculiar? mean? Peculiar, Harding. Peculiar. Peculiar, Harding. Peculiar. I've got to tell you guys peculiar. something. You just don't want to learn anything. You just don't want to listen to anybody. Wait a minute. He's peculiar. got intelligence. Wait a minute. You've never heard the word peculiar? Say, what are you trying to say? <laughs> Try to say I'm queer. Is that it? No. Little Marianne, little Marjorie, Jen, <laughs> on the But see, this is the thing with with McMurphy observing, which is what he's he's just trying to take in. Who are all these people? We get to do the exact same thing, and that's what I love about this scene is, like, what this is where I learned that that Nurse Ratchet has the patience of a saint, because. Again, she could just go, right, what are we, you know, we've got to do this today or whatever. But she goes, no, we're going to go back to what happened last time. Let's move on. And she just sits and she lets it happen. And she hears and she absorbs. Like, it's fascinating. One thing, though, I did notice in this scene, though, though I think McMurphy had his cards still in his hand. Remember, he showed the nude cards. Yes. Card he still had these cards and he, and he riffles them in this scene. And Ratchet gives him the death stare, like yeah. to say, what they, without saying a word, She's told him, listen, mate, don't be doing that around here. I'm in charge. Yeah. Without a word being said. It's just, just the power of that performance. Just that look conveyed so much. But next thing we see is uh, a bit of uh, – it's, it's exercise time. They're, they're out in the yard. And, I love this uh, scene because it's, it's where McMurphy's, you know, he's trying to build a rapport with the chief, even though the chief's deaf and dumb, uh, as, as spoken by, by the young fella. Um, and he's, you know, he's trying to get him to play basketball. And it's like, cause he's looking at him going, Oh my God, this would be perfect. This bloke is enormous. We'll just play basketball. Well, it's a great little conversation he has with him. Well, if he's deaf or dumb, he's having the conversation with himself. Here, take the ball. That's it. Hold on to it. Not too hard, chief. You'll crush all the air out of it. We're going to put her in the basket. You understand? All right. Now, uh, Raise up your arms. Raise the ball up in the air, Chief. Raise it up. McMurphy, what the hell are you talking to him for? He can't hear a fucking thing. I ain't talking to him. I'm talking to myself. It helps me think. Yeah, well, it don't help him then. Well, it don't hurt him either, does it? <laughs> don't hurt you, does it, Chief? See? Don't hurt him. So what, what I like here is that McMurphy... He's trying to get on with people. He's a real fun bloke to have around. But you immediately see that the chief, even though we know what happens a bit later, you, you know that he's he's sort of taken with him. He, he, yes. He, when he raises his arms and does things that he asks, you think, well, he's sort of getting through to him anyway. Because there's no oh, one yeah. else you ever see the chief interacting with. No one talks to him. That's right. At, at all. He's right? dumb. No one bothers to do it. 
Yeah. But the other thing I took out of this was you got this warden who's just saying, what are you bothering for, right? Yeah. And you're thinking, to, and this is where I, you know, it's one of the many moments in the movie where you go, I'm kind of super glad the mental health system has changed to a point where this doesn't happen anymore because you've got a warden who's, you know, basically acting as a prison guard yeah. who's just saying, what are you doing? That's what you would want. Like if you were the chief's family, you know, and he was in this institution, you would hope that people are at least trying to play with him, get him to play a game. Whereas here's this knockabout bloody um, <laughs> prison bloke, uh, thug, comes in and he's just trying to play with him. And he's been there like literally a day or whatever. And yeah. he's already he's already exactly. getting through to him as well. So uh, that was a good little scene. We move into the evening though. This is the, the first time where I think, I think McMurphy decides, you know what, he's going to, he's going to run, he's going to run the table. He's going to run a little yeah. casino. He's going to get him to play cards. And I think he's getting bothered by Martini who wants to, I bet a dime. Remember he cuts his, he breaks his cigarettes in half. I bet a dime. He keeps doing it. And, he keeps saying, hit me, hit me. And, and <laughs> McMurphy's getting the shit. He's this getting is where McMurphy realises he's the only sane one there, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and uh, I think then he, heard, he hears the music start as well, the music, which he, which he sees is quite loud. He gets up from the table, remember, and then walks into the nurse's station and she gets a fright and, and she said, look, what are you doing? You better you know, walk, walk outside. And then he, then he asks about turning the music down. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? That music is for everyone, Mr. McMurphy. Yeah, I know, but you think we might ease it down a little bit so maybe the boys didn't have to shout? Huh? What you probably don't realize is that we have a lot of old men on this ward who couldn't hear the music if we turned it lower. That music is all they have. Your hand is staining my window. So we see yet again that we that McMurphy already trying to oppose the way things are running in yes. this. So we, yes. we see that he's the sort of the fish trying to swim upstream. And but you also see that she keep is this rule book, yeah. template driven, like even to the point where it, when he comes into the nurse's, nurse's station, she doesn't even entertain what he's there for. She's just like, no, no, out. Around, outside, ask me for through the, the normal yeah, process. Yeah, that's right. Standard way of dealing with it. You know, it's awesome, and it's also kind of where this is about the moment where he also it's medication time, yes. and he's got to take his medic. He's like, I don't need to. He's like, you have to. So he takes it, but then, and I, 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 I feel like this is a scene I must have seen before because I thought to myself, oh, that I'm just, you know, clearly this was going to be happening, but. He, I thought he hasn't he hasn't swallowed that. There's no yeah. way. And then he spits it out in the bloke's face. Spits and, it out in Harding's face, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, he, Harding goes, comes over and says, remember, because Harding was in the line behind him. And then she said, remember, goes, well, you know, if you don't want to take it orally, we can take it another way. And then he turns around to Harding and goes, yeah, I bet you'd like that, wouldn't you? He <laughs> sort of smiles, but uh, he spits it out in, in Harding's face. And he says, yeah. why didn't you go tell her to fuck, his, fuck herself? You know, he was... Harding wants to see him clash with her. Yeah, he's trying to cheer him and, up. Uh, and he was sort of saying, oh, yeah, you might get caught. And he was saying, oh, yeah, wow, I'm real scared. And then she, he, the line he says then is like, you know, she's got you so, you know, so uh, in her grip, you don't know whether to shit or, or wind your wristwatch, I think is the line he says there. So <laughs> uh, we see then uh, the next session kicks off and McMurphy decides to start the chat, wants to get some things off his chest. And the thing he wants to get off his chest, though, is that it's the World Series. Today, yep. the World Series has started. 
I identified and greatly with this at this point. Oh, no, you're a baseball fan, so you would absolutely want to watch this. And don't forget, this is in 1963, this movie is set. So it's uh, I think the Yankees are playing in the World Series at this time. So um, he want, his suggestion was to change the work detail to watch the ball game. And uh, they mid-nurse rats said, okay, let's have a vote. Mm. And there were only three votes, uh, not enough to change policy. So he's upset there. Next scene, though. He decides to take out his revenge. He's in the he's in the bath in the tub room. Oh yeah, water fountain is. Um, they're playing Monopoly. This, and- to be honest, this is the first scene where I go. I don't understand what's happening here. Okay, because they're in the bathroom. They call it the tub room. Um, there's you know three or four tubs. There's this big marble looking um, thing in the middle with with hoses and stuff on it, and. They're playing Monopoly. I'm like, oh, I just, I'm literally not understanding what's going on. It's only later you realise that this is kind of happening behind the scenes. The nurses aren't meant to know about it. But you do, I do wonder whether that's, yeah. is there any sense of reality and you know, how they could all be away from, you know, the, the observing eyes of the wardens. Uh, well, he, uh, well, they're in, so they're, they're off in the, the side room. And the water fountain, of course, is a really key. That's right. In the movie that we'll find something out later. But um, he's, he's saying, well, he sprays the water on Harding, saying, how does your schedule, how does that go for you now? So he's dirty on Harding, yeah. he's not voting. Um, and he was saying, look, I'm going to go downtown, watch the World Series. And they're saying, what do you mean? You can't go downtown. What do you, how are you going to do that? But he, this is what he suggests. I'm going to take this button thing. I'm going to put it through the window. And me and my buddy Cheswick are going to go out through the hall, downtown, sit down in a bar, wet our whistles, and watch the ball game. And that's the bet. Now, does anybody want any of it? Huh? So this is the point, too, where it, I think Tabor says, I'll bet a buck. And then Harding says, I'll bet $25. And he actually starts trying to lift it as well. Yes. No, 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 nobody could ever, ever lift that thing. Get out of my way, son. You're using my oxygen. You know what I mean? So, yeah, he has a solid go at lifting that. And, yeah. and if you look closely, he really tried to lift it. And all that effort that he was displaying was him actually – I think he scraped the side of his arm. You see – Looked like he was going to do a hernia. On his arm, yeah. And, and you'll notice who was watching him in the background. Chief. Chief was watching him. and But when he but when he left the room, though, he had this to say. But I tried, didn't I? God damn it. At least I did that. So he had to go. He said, I think, look, I failed. but I Which tried. is an important message. Like, it's it's almost a message to them all because what he's been observing for, you know, his very short amount of time there is them just following routine, doing the same thing, never questioning, you know. So he's like, guys, at least I tried. So he's, he's already feeling the effect he's having on the rest of the ward. Mm-hmm. So we move into the, the third session and we see them in and Billy Bibbitt's talking about um, he's the girl that he first asked to marry him. And uh, we, we also established that Nurse Ratchet has a relationship with his mother, which comes right, into play yeah. later. So we, we talk about, oh, your mother never told me. Um, she, it's sort of a, a hold she's got over him whenever she mentions his mother. It's yes. A, it's sort of he, he's, she has the power over him. And uh, the that she mentions too was the first time we tried to commit suicide. And Cheswick, a little young, not young Cheswick, Ches, Ches, Cheseru, as uh, as Randall McMurphy described him <laughs> later, he steps up and says, "Look, why are you pressing him? Like, what the hell? Leave him alone." And then Ratchet shoots back, saying, "Well, you know, the idea of this is to 
to try to make a breakthrough, to try to come to the to some sort of result to resolve an issue. And um, it, it comes back around to McMurphy, and then they they bring up, of course, the World Series, World Series yeah, vote he again. Wants, he wants to get to the next day, so there's another game on. He says, yep. "Look, there's another game," and he she says, "Okay, will you be happy with another vote?" Now, initially, you see the nine people in the group, all their hands go up, and he goes, and she says, "Oh, look, okay." She goes, "What do you mean? It's a landslide." He goes, "Well, I'm sorry, you need one more vote. There's a it's 18 people on the ward, 18 patients." You've only got nine. You need one more. So he he goes around asking people to try to get one more vote, and he's asking all everyone, including the chief. The chief put his hand up. The chief put his hand up. Look, he voted. Would you please turn the Would you please turn the television set on? The chief has got his hand up right there. The chief voted. Now, would you please turn the television set on? Mr. McMurphy. The meeting was adjourned and the vote was closed. But the vote was 10 to 8. The chief, he's got his hand up. Look. No, Mr. McMurphy. When the meeting was adjourned, the vote was 9 to 9. Ah, oh, come on. You're not going to say that now. You're not going to say that now. You're going to pull that hen house shit now. When the vote, the chief just voted, it was 10 to 9. Now I want that television set turned on right now. Not right. happy, McMurphy. I yeah. love this bit, though, because I mean, he runs over there and sits in front of the TV, which yeah. is off, and commentates the baseball. And and the look, because, <laughs> again, this is that moment where the the single shots of a few of the, you know, supporting cast, it's like yeah. this uh, this awe of this bloke commentating well, a game getting, that he's – they, they look were, up at the TV as if to say, what's he watching? Yeah. Now, they were getting herded into the tub room, and then they all come out one at a time, like you said, thinking, what the hell? And they – they get into it. They, they, his his commentary is so infectious. Yeah. I actually get into it. And again, Ratchet though giving him the death scare, death stares from a, across the room. There, he's definitely upsetting the status quo. Yeah. Um. Next next scene up is where he meets Doctor Spivey once again. So it's kind of an assessment, and um, he sort of expresses an opinion about Nurse Ratchet and yeah. how she ain't kind of uh, he doesn't like him a fair go and. He calls it not honest. Yeah, and he calls among her, other things. Says something of a you know what. Um, and but it's this is this is the point where we realise how long he's been there now because really time is not part of the last yeah. part of the movie. You don't really understand like are those sessions daily? Is it monthly? What what is it? And we we find out here that this is four weeks of observation, and they talk about how they haven't seen any evidence of mental illness, and I think that's a really important thing because he's now realising that you know he's just. He's just being himself. And I don't see any evidence of mental illness at all. And I think that you've been trying to put us on all this time. You know, what do you want me to do? You know what I mean? Is that it? Is that crazy enough for you? Want me to take a shit on the floor? <laughs> Christ. So... <laughs> he's acting as he's a genius. <laughs> so he, he again expresses himself pretty clearly. He says, "Look, yeah, what, what do you want me to do? To, how, what do I have to do to prove I'm not insane?" Um, so he's kind of the, the, he's again at a bit of a. a so my a, question yeah. is: Does the next scene create a, a perception of insanity or sanity? Because what he does is uses Chief to get over the fence in the exercise yard, yeah. jumps on the very bus that the the the, the wardens normally take a few of the, the 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 inmates or whatever you call them out, 
um, and he basically hijacks a bus full of his fellow patients, takes them <laughs> fishing, picks up his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and it, like it actually, it's a great scene because it's, you know, it's this wonderful, happy, it takes, it's the same as, you know, I said earlier about the warden not wanting to talk to chief. Yeah. This is the same thing. It's like, if you're going to try and bring some joy to the lives of people who've got any form of instability, this is beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a really bold. lovely moment. Did you notice too when, like, remember how he stood on the chief's shoulders and we'll talk about the sort of plot hole later about how the hell he got over the fence. Mm. But you see when the chief, he goes over the fence and the, the, there's a close-up on the chief and the chief's got a, he's got a little smile on his face. Like he's, you're thinking, he, he's, uh, there's something going on there. And yeah. I love the fact when, when he picks up Candy, which is um, McMurphy's girl, she, said, she sits on the very front seat and she says, uh, "Are you all crazy?" And then Cheswick's there, and he just nods. He's not. He <laughs> nods, yeah, we're all crazy. But he uh, he decides to take them all fishing, and then uh, he's uh, well, there's a boat, nice big boat on the on the dock that he spots, and but uh, someone asks him, "What what the hell are they doing there?" What are you doing on this boat? We're going fishing. No, you're not going fishing. Not on this boat. You're not going fishing on this boat. Oh, yeah, on this boat. Uh, ask Captain Block. Captain Block? Captain Block, yes, that's right. Who are you? Uh, we're from the uh, state mental institution. Uh, this is Dr. Cheswick, Dr. Tabor, Dr. Fredrickson, Dr. Scanlon, famous Dr. Scanlon, Mr. Harding, Dr. Bibbitt, Dr. Martini, and uh, Dr. Seafell. How about you? Who are you? Oh, I'm Dr. McMurphy, R.P. McMurphy. Did you notice in that lineup <laughs> of the doctors, yeah. he never called Harding a doctor? He called him Mr. Harding? <sighs> I didn't know. He's still dirty no. on him for not voting that first yes. time. Remember? He's still it's got true. the shit with him. He's holding yeah. a grudge. I love that. Everyone's a doctor. And you see the look on his face when he doesn't get introduced as a doctor. He's sort of, he's upset that he, everyone else gets introduced as a doctor <laughs> except for him. But this and whole scene is brilliant. Like there's so much yeah, that goes funny. on. But the bottom line is it's a scene where you get to see the craziness of it because, you know, you've got the one bloke's meant to be behind the wheel and there's no one in charge and there's a, there's a fish bin hooked. And, you know, McMurphy's trying to do his best with his girlfriend in the cabin. But, like, it's still... I still love it because it's just this crazy fanatic thing where they, they end up catching an enormous fish, cruising back two, into two harbour. Fish, two big fish they catch. And cruising back into harbour with the authorities just standing there ogling them. them. I love it. <laughs> did you did you see um, that they, they caught the two fish, but it was also when Billy Bibbitt kind of um, was chatting with Candy. Remember he complimented her? He goes, oh, yes. you got lovely hair, I love the eyes. So yes. you can see there's something doing there. Uh, when they get back, they have a meeting without McMurphy, about McMurphy. Yep. And this is a really, really interesting little thing that's said here. Um, they would, I think the, the feeling in the meeting with Spivey and the rest of the people in the meeting was, look, we, let's send him back to the work farm. Yeah. But Nurse Ratched speaks up and she says, look, th this is a way of passing, we're passing on our problem. I, I want to keep him on the wall. Now, it's a, I, and it's a strange one because she says, I don't yeah. want to pass on our problem. We should keep him here. Yeah. But I don't actually understand it. Like from a, like any, any casual observer can see the bloke's not mentally ill. So why does she, yeah. like, it just doesn't make sense well, to me. That you, don't, you don't know. That, that, that's, that's sort of what adds to the whole mystery of the thing. But 
Don't you think it's ironic? Like, do you remember, cast your mind back a few weeks ago when we did A Few Good Men? Do you remember Jack Nicholson says the very thing yeah, that Nurse Ratchet oh, says? Oh, yes. To, he says it we, to We don't want to pass yeah, on yeah. our problems. We've got, a, we've got a responsibility to train the lad. Yeah. Don't you think it's ironic that she's saying that now about him? Isn't that funny how... It's, do we pass Nick? Do we pass McMurphy on? And I she's think it's kind Oscar level movie nerdy that you picked that up. That's what yeah, I think that of is. Course, of course. Plus, we covered a few good men a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, but I think the next scene though is pretty cool because the, my the, favorite scene of the, the whole wardens. movie, without McMurphy. question, <laughs> they're playing against the wardens, and of course McMurphy's got the chief up up front there, and to train tells him what to do. I love the fact how he's waiting there with his arms and he, he puts one in the basket. They go nuts. It was, it's like he won the World Series himself. Yeah. But also, too, you see, when they score, do you remember the Chief put his hand up through the basket and yeah. sort of took, took it out of the basket? Yeah. So, because the thing about this really is, joyous scene. For, for me, <laughs> it's such a great scene because it is the culmination of that bond between the Chief and McMurphy. It's um, it's also, I just love the fact that it's a, it's a big middle finger to the Wardens because... You can imagine yeah. they would have tried playing basketball many, many times. And they would have just smashed them every day. And so finally, they've got their comeuppance. Because they don't treat these um, patients with respect, they've got their comeuppance for once. But it was also like, I love the celebration, though. It's like yeah. they'd won the World Series themselves. Yeah. It was, they were love so it. happy. It was just, and that wouldn't have, ex- that wouldn't have happened without McMurphy there. Yeah, yeah. So next session, though, we, you know, the whole thing now is like, what, what's going to happen to McMurphy? Does he stay? Does he go? What's going to happen? And he's in the pool. Remember, he's sort of they're they're doing some uh, some pool exercises and everything. And he's told to get off the wall. Remember by the warden, and he says to him, "Oh, I'll be uh, I'll be seeing you on the outside. I'll be seeing you on the outside. You know what I mean? By the time you get out of here, don't be too old to even get it up. Sixty-eight days, buddy. Sixty-eight days. What the fuck you talking about? Sixty-eight days." That's in jail, sucker. You still don't know where you at. Yeah, where am I at, Washington? With us, baby. You're with us. And you're going to stay with us until we let you go. So this was a real worry for, for McMurphy where he's thinking, what is he talking about? Is he Because is he no real? one, like, like you, the, clearly McMurphy's trying to play the system. This is where you realise that McMurphy's been trying to play the system the whole time. You know, it's going to be a luxury, you know, 68 days. If I just go into a mental hospital, I'll just have some fun, play it out. But he doesn't, his plan is, is devoid of the most important fact, which is once you're committed uh, to the mental institution, it's their decision to release you. It's not the 68-day sentence. You could be there for two years, mate. Yeah. And it's just this this overwhelming realisation that he's completely stuffed up his plan. But McMurphy, though, in the next session, um, he, he sort of speaks up and says, look, I didn't realise that you and the doctors can keep me here as long as you want. Mm. And he's angry about that. He's angry yeah. that others weren't letting him know that uh, that he was sort of hassling Nurse Ratchet and not not telling him that, they weren't committed. So he, there is a real surprise that he finds out. You heard me, Harding. You let me go on hassling Nurse Ratchet here, knowing how much I had to lose, and you never told me nothing. Now, Mac, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't know anything about uh, how much. Wait a minute. Now, listen. Now, look. I'm, I'm voluntary here. See, I'm not committed. I don't have to stay here. I mean, I can go home anytime I want. You can go home anytime you want. That's it. You're bullshitting me. No. 
He's bullshitting you, right? No, Randall. He's telling you the truth. So yeah. he, that's quite a revelation for him. And he's thinking, you know, Cheswick's not, not voluntary. Billy. Because but, that's what she says, isn't it? There's very few people here are yeah. actually committed. But there, there is a turn, though. Sort of the, 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 the I think the, the whole discussion was about how um, they, they lost their, they lost their cigarettes. They're saying, well, how come? Why, why do we have not, no access to our cigarettes anymore? And she explains what's been happening. Now, as you all know, Mr. McMurphy has been running a small gambling casino in our tub room. Now, most of you lost all your cigarettes to Mr. McMurphy, not to mention a tidy sum of money to Mr. McMurphy. And that's why your tub room privileges have been suspended and your cigarettes have been rationed. Mr. Martini? How are we going to win our money back? <laughs> That's a great line. So, look, a lot happens now in this scene. Now, you remember how um, they were complaining about the cigarettes. Yeah. I think Harding had a cigarette. Tabor grabs it off him. They yeah. throw it around. Tabor puts it in his shoe or on his pants and kind of forget it, forgets it's there. Do you remember Yeah, this? I think he put – you know, the, the, your, your pants are rolled up at the bottom. Tough. I think he put yeah. it in there. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then he, he just – he starts going crazy – but in the meantime, Cheswick is going nuts about not having access to his cigarettes as well. Rules? Piss on your fucking rules, Mr. Sit down, will you, Cheswick? I want you to know something right here and now, Miss Ratchet. I ain't no little kid. You sit down. I ain't no little kid where you're going to have cigarettes kept with me like cookies. And I want something. Dad, take that right there. That's right now. Will you sit down? No, I won't. I won't. I want something. Dad. Sit down. I want something. Dad. I want something. So that's just absolute mayhem there. Tabor's yeah. getting carried away. McMur- Cheswick's losing it. McMurphy smashes the glass to get to the cigarettes, yeah. and now it's on. So yeah. the, the 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 cigarettes. I think then he has I think a fight with one of the wardens, and they get taken away. So Cheswick and the chief comes over. Remember the chief comes and grabs the warden off of McMurphy. Yes. So again, we're seeing the chief is kind of on McMurphy's team. That's here. right. And I think what's interesting here is you think all, all the things that McMurphy's already done. Like, why wouldn't he have been, you know, uh, in trouble before? But this is the point where he's, he's physically done something. Like, all yeah. the rest of it was mental games. This yeah. was fi- – he, he broke the window. He, he he intruded in the nurse's station physically. That's why he's now in trouble. And he and, he and Chief, because of their, I guess, inter, intervention in that incident, kind of get – it's like they get taken down to solitary. You know, they get taken away. Yeah. And is this the point where he's sitting there with his juicy fruit and he offers a juicy yes, fruit to the chief? So Cheswick, Chief, and McMurphy are off to get their little shock treatment. So Cheswick goes first, member, and he gets dragged yeah. off and he fights it. And it's just the chief and it's just the chief and McMurphy. Thank you. Son of a bitch, Chief. You hear me, too? 
Hey, bitch. Oh, God damn, Chief. And they all, they all think you're, you're deaf and dumb. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you fooled them, Chief. You fooled them, you fooled them all. God damn. That's my favorite bit of the movie when he just I think so, yeah. he's just faking it the whole time. <laughs> and I'll talk more about the book. The chief plays a bigger part in the book, but this this to me was I'm thinking, fuck and hell, what uh, the chief can speak? Yeah, he's yeah, talking. Yeah. It's it's an amazing so moment see, because now, he's gotten through to him. So I reckon, see, the chief has spoken to him. Because he was trying to get through to him. He was, no one else was paying attention to him. No uh, one else was doing Exactly anything. my point from the very early part of this, where yeah. that's why I love the moment where the chief actually plays basketball, because it's like an acknowledgement that he at least tried to play yes. with him. Yes. And it's like if the wardens had paid any attention to this bloke, it's basically an indictment on the mental health system. If the wardens had paid any attention to this bloke, maybe he would have come out of his shell because he was clearly just a quiet, lonely yeah. guy. And he's finally found a bloke who... It doesn't matter whether he's a good bloke or a bad bloke. He's he's at least trying. And I he's think paying attention to him. Yeah, he's paying attention yeah. to him. And so we see, uh, you know, he says, look, it's you and me, Chief. What are we doing here? Let's get out of here. And then he says, I think, you know, I can't, you know. He says, didn't have the willpower. Yeah. Didn't have the thought even of leaving the, of, of the, leaving the ward. But the, we see then McMurphy's taken into the into the room. And we I realize, hate this. This is, this yeah. is quite horrible. Because we realise what's going on. And again, yeah. this is an indictment on the mental health system of the time. This is actually what happened. They it's were 1963, of course. So you know, electric see. shock therapy. And, and you see, what do you think of his performance here? This was incredible. I thought it was brilliant. That was yeah. absolute genius performance. But what I like, though, is once this is finished, this is a funny bit of the movie when he's walking back into the ward, remember? And he's walking <laughs> like a zombie. Yeah. And he walks up and the chief sees him and he sort of has a worried look on his face. But he gives the he chief a wink. <laughs> and he, he walks he walks over to the group. They're having it. They're in the middle of the session. <laughs> How about it, you creep, you lunatics, mental defectives? Let's hear it from Little Goose Randall back in action. Nice shirt, Chesaroo. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the faces on you. Look at you. <laughs> the beam brigade, you dinglings. <laughs> the mental defective league in formation. <laughs> So that's funny. <laughs> I like how he said, nice shirt, Chesaroo. Ches- Cheswick was wearing a different shirt. Yeah. So he joins the group, though. Do you remember what he says? He says to the nurse, he says, oh, well, hell, I'm glad to be back, Nurse Ratchet. Then he says something and he calls her Mildred. Remember, he goes, yeah, right. yeah, Mildred. He sort of finds out her name. So the next scene is um, we're sort of getting towards the end of the movie here, and it's we, we he realizes that it's it's party time. Not only party time, but he's he's going to bring the girls to bring memories on the phone, get a car, bring yeah, some yeah. booze, sneaks in a couple of women and alcohol, and then he um he goes over and talks to the chief, and he says, "Look, I can't take it anymore. I've got to get out of here." Um, and then he says to the the chief says something really strange to him. He goes, "You know what? You're a lot bigger than me." Yeah, he says, what do you mean? He goes, I'm this massive guy. And so the chief sort of tells a little bit of his story about how his old man used to be this guy, this everyone thought, you know, he thought he was the the you know, the king of the world, but everyone was working on him. Everyone worked on him and he got a he started drinking and he was saying, Look, every time he took the bottle put the bottle to his mouth, he didn't drink out of the bottle, the bottle drank out of him, sort of thing. And he sort of explained his background, how they were working on him. But we did we then see uh Turkle, who's the night the night security dude. He 
he kind of bribes him saying, listen, uh, we've got a couple of girls coming over and some alcohol. And uh, he, he decides to let them in and join the party. Yeah. And I think the, Look, this whole scene—it's pretty epic. It goes—it goes on for a bit. Oh, I'll be honest. Funny. But it's funny. It's I mean, it's a funny scene, but in reality, it—it it could be a whole stack shorter because it's really just—it yeah, goes. Know, they get on it. It's a big party. You know what's funny? So what I really laughed at, like you know how he's got a couple of girls with him, and Turkle mm. thinks, "Well, one of the girls is for me," sort of thing. Mm. And then when he comes back out and sees they were in—they're in the nurses' station. Remember, all the patients are in the nurses' yeah. station, just trashing it. And then he says, "Get out, you idiots!" And then he and then he sees the night the night nurse uh, coming. Out. Then he pushes him back into the station. Yes. <laughs> so he says, "Yeah, everyone, be quiet." And then when the when the nurse was sort of trying to was calling out his name, do you remember? Do you remember this little line where he says, "Where the night the night supervisor?" She says. Where is he? Why isn't he answering? And then someone, someone whispers, he's jerking off somewhere. <laughs> he goes, I'll tell you if he's jerking off, you dickhead. And then he comes out, the loud noise, he sticks his head out, remember? And then all the noise comes inside. Then the, the girl, mm. remember? Candy sticks her head yeah. out. He's like, oh, look, you know, I'm lonely. And <laughs> it's not Get a bad right thing. Uh, to be honest, it's the lowest point of the movie, though, for me. Like, yeah, right. it's, 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 <laughs> it's not, uh, other than the, the, the reason this is an important part of the movie is for Billy. Right. Yes. Because Billy's got this little crush. Yes, he um, does. You know, before they're all about to leave. Yes. Um, McMurphy kind of pulls Billy aside, and he's like, "Well, hang on a Where minute, I going? can hook yeah. you up." He yeah. says, "Look, I'm going." He goes, "I'll send you a postcard." And he asks about Candy, and he goes, "Oh, are you going to marry her?" Or and he goes, "No, we're just friends." And and then uh, McMurphy says, "What? You want a date with her? What do you mean?" You busy right now? Are you? You got something to do right now? You got something to do? Uh, no, 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 no. Good. No. Well, then don't talk to me about when no, you're ready. No, no, yeah, no. yeah. Mac, oh, Mac. yeah. Ready and no, everything no, like that. No. Candy, come here a minute. I'm no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Candy, I want no, you to meet no, no. the famous Bill. Go get him, will you? Go get him. So he's, uh, he says, oh, you're busy right now? So then he takes Billy and Candy, go into the other room, mm. and then we see... So they, they, the other, you see like a little montage of them drinking and just trashing yeah. the place. And, but then it's the, it's the very next morning. And Mate, this, from this point, the movie, this is where it wins the awards. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because up until now, it's a great story, really interesting. Great it's a story of a, you know, of a, of a bit rate con, you know, doing his best to find another way instead of going to jail. You know, you get the sense that he's going to escape. Yada yada. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just a, it's a good story. Like great. But though, but 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 like Murphy though, he kind of proved himself that he's considerate. He's he's got consideration. Like he was considerate of the chief. Exactly. Considerate so, of Billy. He was very. Like, but, he said, "Look, he so, one date. So imagine date. imagine the movie without this last bit, right? And you go and and he escapes. He, he leaves at the party. Bye bye. That's the end of the movie. What you've learned about this bloke is that he can have some compassion. He's you know the chief there. There could have been some other you know, spin-offs to to the way those characters end up. But and so like that. That's a story. It's a good story. It's actually not a bad movie. Yeah. It's not an Oscar-winning movie, right? Because it's it's really this next bit where they come. Nurse Ratchet arrives in the morning. They're doing a head count. They realize Billy's missing, and they they, they go and they find him naked with candy <laughs> still. With candy, yeah. And I like and, how he comes out of the room like stark naked, trying to put his pants on, and slips over. And this and, is where this is where Ratchet mentions his mum again. She brings yeah, well, up again. But, no, but before that, he comes out and everyone's cheering him on. He feels like a hero. 
And you'll yeah. notice, if, like I've seen this so many times, you'll notice in that's this little scene, he's not stuttering anymore. No, right. He's talking clearly, no stuttering at all. And then Nurse Ratchet, and I'm thinking, you bitch, she mentions his mother. Mm. What is your mother going to think about this? And then he starts stuttering again. Yeah. He goes, aren't you, she says, aren't you ashamed? And she says, no, I'm not, I'm not. So mentions the mother, gets gets angry and says, I'm going to tell your mother. Remember, he starts punching the floor, pleads with her, don't tell my mother, don't tell her. And they drag him off. And meanwhile, McMurphy's near the, near the open window trying to, trying to get the padlock undone again. So there's that going on. You yep. suddenly hear this scream. The nurse comes out literally covered in blood. So Murphy McMurphy could have gone. He could have stepped out the window right there. Yep. He comes yep. back in, and we find out poor old Billy has committed suicide. Yeah. What did you think here? Did this shock you or what? Yeah. This this mate. Every bit from from the party onwards, it's the like we've like think of Psycho and the mum. Right. That's yeah. a shocking moment in a movie. Like surprise, kind of you wouldn't have guessed it, mate. I don't think any of this you could have seen coming. I, I was like. And I, I was, you know, a bit cut up by the by the Billy suicide, and plus, yeah. then the thing about this is you've got Nurse Ratchets. We, we've we've realised she's got an attachment to Billy that unfortunately she uses over him, which yeah. drives him to commit suicide. And it's it's her attachment to her to him that makes her upset by the whole thing. It's you know, yeah. it's this really intricate. McMurphy snaps though. McMurphy oh, mate. says, "You bitch!" And he he grabs. He tries to kill her. Tries yeah. to strangle her to death. And then he's overpowered by the guards and everything. And I love the close-up shot of her. You know when his hands are around her neck. The camera's right on her face. Yes. She's turning purple. And then you don't see the guards hitting McMurphy. All you see is her face. Yes. So you see him fall away, and he sort of yeah. hands against her face, and she's coughing and spluttering. I reckon that was just brilliant shot of her, just her on her own. Because you, you could, as a director, shot of McMurphy getting belted. Correct. As a director, you could have gone wide and shown the all-in, you know, guards and stuff pulling him off. But no, the important thing here is that that this has, you know, she he's actually had an impact on her. She's yeah. struggling. She she almost died. That's yeah, what you get incredible. from that moment. Incredible. So like, at this point, you're thinking, yeah, your heart's pumping, and you're thinking, my God. And so we move into the very final scene, and and we we sort of see the ward. How it's like, remember at the very beginning, we see the ward pre McMurphy. Now we see the ward post McMurphy, where he's, you know, they've got an organized card game and they're saying, okay, you guys, they're they're sort of wheeling and dealing like McMurphy would have. Nurse Ratchet's in a neck brace. The guy, I think, um, Seafelt comes back in and and the nurse says, Nurse Ratchet says, oh, show me, he had had some dental work or something. And so it's, you're thinking it's all back to normal. But then, Seafelt says to the guys, yes, McMurphy's escaped. There's this rumour. And then the other guy, I think um, Harding says, oh, no, he's upstairs. He's meek as a lamb. We, we don't, you know, you, so you're thinking, has he escaped? Is he, what were you thinking at this point? At this point, I assumed he'd escaped. Like that's, that sounded like a, a strategic, like I didn't believe Harding would have the knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, why would McMurphy not have escaped? Like that's what his whole goal was. He would be so angry. He would be hating the place. He would absolutely want out. He'd be doing everything he could to escape. So we, but the the shock then in this next part is then you see McMurphy being brought back into the ward. Mm, this so is he's, horrible. He's walked back in, and he's he go. They put him to bed. Uh, we we see the chief comes over and and starts talking to him. Back. He said you escaped. 
was waiting for you. Now we can make it, Mac. I feel big as a damn mountain. So at this point, he sees his scars. Yeah. You, man. I wouldn't leave it here this way. You're coming with me. So he says, you're coming with me. Yeah. And so what's obviously what's happened is he's had a lobotomy or something, so they've really, you know. You see that scar, and A, the scar's fully healed, so it's happened some time ago. So that that helps you understand this is a well-progressed timeline. Yeah. And you immediately realise he's had some sort of lobotomy, and, mate, it's just heartbreaking because you realise he's a bloke who was just trying to escape the the prison system, really, and trying to do his 68 days in a in a, in a yeah. cuckoo house, right? And, he crossed uh, the line. He crossed the line, and, and, and they, what's, this is what's how they dealt with him. Tragically beautiful about that moment is it's the complete opposite. So you've got Chief talking, oh, like it's the second longest lines of the movie. Yeah. To, he feels as big as a mountain. He says he's ready to go, yeah. He's, he's, he's completely come to the point where he needs to be, and now McMurphy's essentially Chief from the from day one. He, yeah, he's a, he's, kind of swap roles. Yeah, good observation. Yeah, that's right. How he, it's how the, the saddest, mate. It's yeah. so sad because Total you would never have seen that coming. It's yeah, like, that's wow. a really good point, actually. Yeah, sort of how he's now this. He's not. He's the one who can't talk, and and, yeah. and now the chief is sort of. It's like McMurphy's transferred his energy to, to yeah. the chief, who yeah. literally uh, has the energy and the strength to remember that water fountain that he yeah. tried to get out with. He decides he's going to grab that, puts it through the window. And escapes, and then you see the shot of the chief just climbing through the window, and the ward I think thinks it's McMurphy. I remember yeah. Tabe gets up and he sort of cheers as if to say, "Hang on, someone's actually thrown the water fountain like McMurphy said he was going to do through the window." Yeah. So yeah, kind of a bittersweet ending. It, it, it well, how did it make you feel? Like it's not quite a happy ending, but oh, it's an mate. ending that is sort of happy. Unfortunately, it's, McMurphy sort of paid a heavy price there, but yeah, exactly. The chief, I think, the chief is the one who's got the result. I think what I realise at this moment is, in the end, McMurphy is a career criminal, right? And it's unlikely he would get out and and you know change his life. Whereas what's likely to happen now is Chief is going to be the mountain. He's going to change it. So it's this weird, as yeah. you said, passing of energy. It's this weird. It's this weird. Transferred. Moment he sort of transferred himself, yeah. yeah where, right. where Chief is the one that's going to have the great life. Yeah, okay. Well, let's uh, – a couple of really hard one, go. though. Yeah, wow. no, it, it is a really uh, heartfelt movie. Of sort of it, – it, it would it, – it, there's as many times as I've seen it, it's brought me to tears a number of times. I'm thinking yeah. it's how sad yet joyous it can be for the Chief. But let's move on to some of this couple of, couple of great quotes here, mate. And uh, one of my favourites is after he came back out of shock therapy. They uh, was giving me 10,000 watts a day, you know, and I'm hot to trot. Next woman takes me on, going to light up like a pinball machine and pay off in silver dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Such a That's great line, as cool. is this next one. This next one is when he realises that Billy is also not committed. Billy, for Christ's sakes, you must be committed, right? No, 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 no. Oh, you're just a young kid. What are you doing here? You got to be out in the convertible while bird dogging chicks and banging beaver. What are you doing here, for Christ's sake? It's funny about that. Well, Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out. 
I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake? Crazy or something? <laughs> well, you're not. You're not. You're no crazier than the average asshole out walking around on the streets, and that's it. Great line. Yeah, that's that's actually the the bat line. Oh, the the bird dogging thing is funny, but yeah, you know, no crazy no than crazy the average out, asshole yeah. out on the street. Absolutely Brilliant. right. Now, instead of our kind of how did that happen plot holes, I thought we'd just talk sort of book v movie. Right? Yep. Now the movie. Uh, the book, I should say, written by Ken Kesey, is told entirely from the chief's perspective. Oh, wow. The chief is the narrator of the whole story. So while he's deaf and dumb, he's narrating. It's from his perspective. So he's observing McMurphy, all the other Oh, princes. see, now I'd like to see that movie. His perspective. Well, it I've caused, no desire to read the book, but I'd love to see the movie. Well, it caused some controversy, and it started with the author. Ken Kesey is uh -huh. famously hates the movie, does not like the movie. In fact, he even sued the, for 5% of the film's gross wow. because they kind of broke their word. He, he was upset that the finished film, he sued Michael Douglas and Saul Zantz for allegedly what he says, they broke a verbal agreement not to make changes from the novel, which wow. they obviously did. They, they completely changed the whole perspective of the movie so it's really told from mcmurphy's perspective whereas the book if you read the book you'll find out it's entirely through the chief's eyes wow now, i do have a couple of plot holes though mate one of them is when remember where the scene when mcmurphy stands up the chief near the fence and he escapes to go on yeah, a fence yeah. barbed wide fence the warden is there playing basketball like fucking 10 meters away from him. How does he not see it? It's like, Because <laughs> it would stand what? out. Like the chief with another bloke on his shoulders. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Mate, he don't give a and shit. I think the barbed wire is a bigger issue for him. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. My other, my other plot hole, it's not a plot hole. It's kind of, damn, he was so close. He fell asleep with the window open. Yeah. He was so close to escaping. But he, that wasn't meant to be. He right was off up. his dial, though, wasn't he, at the time? Oh, might, might have been, yeah, perhaps. But, yeah, it always bothers me that uh, he didn't escape. But anyway, things you might not know, Trev, many of the extras in the background were actual mental patients. They used wow. They actually filmed this in the Oregon State Hospital. Now, remember Dr. Spivey, the doctor? Yeah. yeah. He ain't an actor. He's a real doctor. He is a doctor and a psychiatrist. Wow. So his name is uh, Dr. Dean Brooks in real life. So not an actor. He was actually head of the Oregon State Hospital. They shot the film in his hospital, and they got him to play the doctor. Wow. Is that, did that come through to you, that he was sort of acting like a, not like an actor? He was like a real person in that scene? Well, no. As I, I said at the start, I, like, yeah. I, I felt it gave me an impression of how yes. a, a, a mental hospital would run because he didn't question him in, in the way a normal person would. You picked it, mate. You picked wow. It. How about the chief? Chief Bromden was played by Will Sampson. Now, get this. He was a park ranger in Oregon near where the movie was being shot. They chose him for the part just on site because they said he's the only Native American that the casting department could find that matched the character's size. They needed some massive Indian who was so tall. He, Will Sampson happened to be a park ranger nearby. They said, mate, you're going to be in the movie. Wow. Chief was a park ranger in the movie. Now, Jack Nicholson knew something about this movie and that, that it was going to be a hit because he took a percentage 
of uh, profits. So he took a smaller upfront. He's doing eight. very well. So he thought, you know what, this is pretty good. So the movie went on to gross at the time. Don't forget, this is 1975. $120 million in 1975. So as you said, he's doing very well. Louise Fletcher, who plays Nurse Ratchet, mm. she was so disturbed by her own performance, she couldn't watch the movie. Oh, wow. Couldn't watch the movie for years. Apparently, later down the track, she did finally watch it, but uh, it was uh, it was disturbing for her. Wow. I told you early, too, that Milos Foreman would roll the cameras when the cast didn't even know. So he was filming them. Yeah. They didn't know they were being filmed. I think that added to that whole sort of real-life capturing the moment type thing. Yeah. Yeah. I told you, too, about McMurphy jumping on the wrong guard. Remember when he kissed him? That surprised the other actor. That was a genuine surprise there. Now, get this right. This movie was a massive hit in Sweden. It played in Swedish cinemas, right, from 1975 until 1987. What? Was in the cinemas for 12 years. Wow. So, yeah, pretty big in Sweden. Doing very well in Sweden. Uh, now, Michael Douglas apparently uh, said that Milos Foreman, the director, had his heart set on, would you believe, Burt Reynolds to play the part of McMurphy. Oh, wow. So that would have been an odd, that would have been an odd sort of show. Um, Reynolds wanted to do it, but the studio wanted a more critically acclaimed actor, and they chose, of course, our man Jack Nicholson. Now, uh, Barack Obama and uh, film director Ron Howard, you know, Richie from Happy Days, mm. they are both on the record of saying this is their very favourite movie of all time. Oh, so, wow. Uh, Louise Fletcher's Oscar-winning lead performance is one of the shortest ever when you just when you judge it by screen time. So right, the time yeah. she spent on the screen was 22 minutes and 37 seconds, and she <laughs> won, still won the Oscar. Now, I told you the movie takes place in 1963. And now, you're a, you're a baseball man. Yeah. So when he was commentating the game, McMurphy mentions Tom Tresh. Right. He apparently was one of the uh, – he played between 1961 and 69. So it was, it was his only Yankee, Yankees-Dodgers World Series. I was just going to say, the 63 World Series was Dodgers. So, yes. you know. Yankees with the Dodgers. Did you notice, Trev, this is for the, the real oh, – Narcs and people who are observant or and fans of Monopoly, right. the Monopoly game they were playing, which is set supposedly the movie set in 1963, uh, had plastic hotels and houses. Apparently, That's... in 1963, if you were to buy Monopoly, the houses and the and the hotels were still made of wood. Ah, uh... so a little little nitpick there. Jeez. Uh, one thing that I can't help seeing every time I watch this movie is when McMurphy's choking Nurse Ratchet. So there's yeah. a shot from like a butt, like Above. looking uh, looking towards them, mm. and you'll notice when he's choking her in the long shot, he's lost his cap. He doesn't wear his little black knit cap. Right. But then when he's when it's a close up, remember the camera sort of points up at him, and he's wearing the cap again. So little little um, little continuity. Continuity. I cannot help. I cannot help notice that though. So anyway. Oof. Anyway, mate, what is your wrap-up and your rating for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? My, my rating is a clear nine plus. Could be a nine and a half easily. Um, and I, I don't think there'd be too many other movies that I'd enjoy watching over and over again. Not to, I mean, I'm not the kind of person to watch a hundred times like you, but I, I'd certainly enjoy watching this. Do you know what? This will be a plane movie for me. If it's ever on a plane, 
yeah. I'd watch this just to pick up those little things. You pick up heaps of things in this. I, I, I could jump if this was on TV. I could just watch it whenever it was on. So you could pick up in a in a scene and and just watch the scenes. So yeah, I man, I loved it. I really did. I thought it was a great movie, mainly because I thought it was a great story, but it became brilliant because of that ending was something you would never have foreseen. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I think it's sad. A, it, it, it is one of those movies where you think, wow, you no wonder it swept the Oscars because all those performances were brilliant. By, by the way, the other the other Oscar nomination of the movie was uh, was Brad Dorif, the guy who played Billy Bibbit. He was oh, nominated for, for his best, first ever performance. Yeah, wow, nominated for best supporting actor. It was nominated for nine Oscars, won five. So it was nominated. It won best picture, best actor, best actress, best director, best adapted screenplay. The other nominations was best supporting actor for Brad Dorif, best cinematography, best film editing, best music dramatic score. So um, did pretty well though. Won won the won the big five. So looking forward to next week's movie, Trev, and we're, we're going into outer space next week. I know you're oh, a big fan of those right. sorts of movies. We were talking about Avatar. Oh, now, have you heard of this movie? So I'm going to tell you, I feel like I watched this at the cinema in 3D. Did it come out in 3D? So I feel That's like I remember putting glasses on and hating it because I don't like 3D. I may not have even watched the whole thing. I may have left because I didn't like 3D. Okay. Did things with my head. And blue people is all I could tell you. Blue people. Well, I'm gonna, I've got a little quiz question for you. Avatar is set on a planet. What is the name of that planet? Is it A, Jupiter, B, Alpha Centauri, C, Pandora, D, Tatooine? Well, Tatooine's a Star Wars. I know that. <laughs> oh, Jupiter, good it wouldn't be Jupiter because that's, so that's, that's real. Okay, geez. So, Alpha, so this is my millionaire. You've got to break it down, mate, 50-50. Alpha Centauri or what's the other one? Pandora. Well, that's like a jewellery thing. So Alpha Centauri. It was Pandora. It's set on Pandora. So you lost the money, mate. You lost the money. But you won $1,000 for getting into the tour. (laughs) Good on you, mate. Getting to the (laughs) final $1,000. (laughs) Well, there it is. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, Great film. We both enjoyed it. And we're we're looking forward, though, to seeing next week. Hope you can join us for Avatar. Look forward to seeing you then, Trev. Happy New Year. And to you.